0: So, OK, so you brought up accessibility and that basically the the I told you I, I was getting messages from some friends um, and it was sort of a what do you think is going to happen? What are we going to do? And I don't think they're asking me because I know I think they're asking me because I'm a loud mouth and they know they'll get at least an answer, whether it's good or not. You know, who knows? Um, Every
1: group needs, needs a tippins to, you know, uh, for the masses.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know. But <laughs> somebody's got to somebody's got to make a, a squeaky wheel once in a while. No, but most of the questions were really about accessibility and then special education services. And I think, think, and I, I might be misinterpreting, but the people who were asking me about accessibility were concerned about students' access both to internet at home yep. and then their access using, I mean, at this point, we're one-to-one um, at my school. The county's been phasing in over three years. Every kid gets a Chromebook. Yep. And one of the things with the Chromebook, it works very nicely with the Google Classroom. They're sort of set up and ready to work together nicely. But, you know, every kid having a Chromebook at my school, there's still a couple of schools that don't have them yet. And I think they just approved emergency funds to try to get something in every kid's hands in the next few weeks. But let's say they have the device, but what do we do if that kid doesn't have reliable internet, internet service? Or if the only internet they have is, you know, they're paying for data on their phone. Um Like, I mean, obviously video would be data intensive. Are there ways to access this where a kid could essentially do it from their phone? Or are we making the assumption that once you have internet service, we can do the rest through a good LMS platform?
1: So you're you're talking about two areas right here with accessibility. One, just accessing the resources. Right, right. Being given a device is not giving you accessibility. Right. it, it, It could become a paperweight if you don't have internet access
0: yeah
1: right yeah. so for one if we're talking about that area of accessibility you can leverage canvas again i can't speak for other platforms or systems i don't know how they operate but for canvas you do have offline epub tools so that right. you can post things while right. they're while they're in an internet accessible like area to then put it, download it into an EPUB so that they can work offline. So there are offline capabilities of the system to ensure access to your resources when you don't have Wi-Fi,
0: okay? So the kid could essentially hit up the public library or McDonald's or Starbucks, get the basic stuff they need for free using that Wi-Fi and then take it back home and still work.
1: Yeah, now that's not ideal. Let's be honest, right? No, but well, it's 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 better than nothing but you could do that. Yes, you could do that. Um, internet, you know, accessibility in terms of the software itself, what I'm talking about is, uh, you know, section 508 guidelines, uh, the voluntary product accessibility template also known as VPAT. Um, a lot of these softwares, they need to be approved by minimum aspects of accessibility by law. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, we cross and we check mark all of those boxes. All of our stuff is public facing. That's like the other side of it, too. Like, you know, special education. How are, you know, screen readers going to work within Canvas? Right. Um, Font size, uh, you know, things like that. But to your question, working offline, you can with Canvas. Canvas also is going to provide school districts with mobile apps that you can download your student app. And access all of your materials right on your phone. So right. if your phone has a data plan, again, you're going to be able to access it on on Canvas. But it does tie back to you've got to have internet access, right? Right. Rural areas sometimes you don't,
0: right? And well, and then and then you know, I mean, you hit on part of this. Then and the other, I think, big question is concern about special education students, and and it's separate. Like these aren't the same things, but I think sometimes we see an overlap of the students who either by their own abilities or disabilities require extra services. Now, if you're working at home, extended time is taken care of, yeah. right? If you're working at home, we don't need to worry about a small group setting like that's taken care of, but some of the other things in terms of additional instructions, modifying assignments and things like that. Um, there you go. And, and, and I guess my question is not, can you yeah. do it? Cause I know you can do it. The question is how difficult is it for the teacher to specialize a particular assignment for one student in the room? without influencing everyone else in the room. Like, am I adding 30 seconds to a minute? Yeah. Am I adding 30 minutes? Because if I have to add 30 minutes to that assignment to get that one kid, you know, if we're being if we're being practical, I'm just going to give everybody the modified assignment.
1: Right. You so know? what you're starting to do is you're digging way deeper than the tip of the iceberg. Unfortunately, of the 300 evaluations that I am a part of, this kind of stuff only gets discussed of the time. And it's unfortunate because we don't have people in the room that are asking these types of questions. And then I could show it, but if it wasn't a question and I'm just trying to help you guys see and understand why this is important, it wasn't asked by you and your team or the evaluating district. So it's moot. But to your point, right? when I'm able to show in Canvas how easy it is to allow instructors to moderate a quiz for individuals requiring more time or who need multiple attempts and there's only one or two in the classroom, it's a quick little click. Right. Now seeing that compared to other systems where it's a couple of clips or it's not even possible, that's where you know, our product tends to shine. The, 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 the issue is are we having really in-depth great conversations where these considerations need to be had they're not being had because we're not getting those questions. Right. Enough.
0: So, so when you say like, it's a, you know, a couple of clicks away for one of the things that we're in the middle of switching to, and, and I I actually did this, we piloted a new sort of grading plan. It was floated two years ago uh-huh. and I went ahead and, and just tried it out. And so what, what we've ended up with is it's, in theory, it's mastery grading. You know, you just grade on the student's knowledge or skills at the end of the thing. So homework doesn't get graded, practice work, worksheets, none of that, like you put it in the grade book, but it doesn't count for anything. The kid's grade is supposed to be 100% summative papers, tests, projects, whatever, which there's a lot of good reasons to do. They're also, they've, we've muddied the waters with a handful of other things that that don't matter in this conversation. But one of the things is that if a kid for us, if a kid scores below 80% on on a summative assessment um, they take corrective action. So conference with me, go to the writing center, show me your notes. I mean, whatever, you know, you, you basically create, it it shouldn't purely be hoops to jump through. It should be something where the kid's learning it better and demonstrating it, but you know, they have to do a lot of work and they guaranteed retake. And then they, you know, they cap it. So if you went under an 80 on your redo, you can't score above an 80. And so it's not truly mastery grading, but it prevents some kids from abusing that system. How easy is it? And obviously, again, you're just speaking to, to Canvas, but yeah. how easy is it to create an individualized opportunity for a student to redo work without having to reopen the assignment for everyone else? Like, can you do that yeah. student by student? You you, you
1: can. Um, here's Here's what I'd say. Who is owning that? Who currently architects that workflow and process? Is it teacher input and then someone is actually devising and developing that plan? Because when it's, when it's delivered the right way, it's taking this idea and sharing it up to the powers that be to actually architect it in Canvas so that once it's architected, we can take it and duplicate it. We have a tool called Blueprint Courses. So mm-hmm. that every biology course has these systems embedded inside of the course, and we're gonna scale it out. That's why we're always like, hey, Canvas is easy to scale. Let's build the framework first. Yes, that's a bit of a lift, but with the flexibility that Canvas provides you with the tool sets, it shouldn't be you, Ryan, creating that environment. And then yeah. Sally, and then Susie, and then Teacher Smith, and then Teacher Bob. That will never scale to equality. Yours will be well built, and everyone else's will be better built or less built, etc. The student isn't getting a consistent digital experience. So, rather relying on the teacher to build that, it shouldn't be the teacher to build that. Builds that. It's the district as a whole PLCs and subject leaders understanding the tool and how to create it, and then scale it out so that every student that's taking English level seven is getting that similar experience, not relying upon. What teacher is more tech savvy than the next? Does that make sense? Yes.